0: Would you join me in your Bibles to John chapter 2, and we're going to read together verses 1 through 11. John 2, verses 1 through 11. The title of the series, as we go through this gospel, is Come and See. And it's because John, as the author, is inviting you to investigate Jesus. He says this at the end of his book, that he wrote this so that you would believe. Now, this is for those of you who are new to Christianity But it's also for those of you who are part of the Christian church to continue to believe and to grow in your faith. And so as we go through this, John is inviting us to reacquaint ourselves with the person and the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so our children can join us on page 1141 and 1142 in their Follow Jesus Bible. So let me read the text. Now there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water new, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunken freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Now, before we get into the text, I want to make some comments. Those who don't believe in the Scriptures or are critical of the Scriptures sometimes come to this text and try and make an argument that Jesus is rebuking his mother in this text. I want to tell you Jesus is not rebuking his or demeaning his mother. The word woman in the text is similar to our word ma'am here in the south. The NIV translates it dear woman because there is affection there but he is creating a distance between he and his mother. He's referring to her like he might refer to one of his followers But there is something in the text that I want to draw your attention to, and that is that he does ask an important question that John wants you and me as a reader to think about as we read the text. And the question is this, what does this have to do with me? What does the problem in the wedding of wine have to do with Jesus? And I will say also that this text where Jesus turns water into wine. It is real wine. It's not as strong in alcohol content as our wine today, but it is real wine. It's probably equal to what you and I have today in beer, that level of alcohol in the drink, and that's brought out by the master of the feast who recognizes that after people have had a lot to drink, they're not able to discern between good and bad wine. And that's why we usually keep the bad wine for later. That's his argument. And so it's foolish for us to try and change what the text is clearly saying and what Jesus is doing in the text. But what does this wine issue have to do with Jesus? Well, John gives us a hint. He says it's the first of his signs. It's the first of his signs. Now, the word sign there... Is different than a miracle a sign points to a reality and I use this illustration in my blurb for the newsletter if you're driving down the road and you see a speed limit sign and you look at your speedometer the speed limit might be 35 and your speedometer says 45 that sign is not a sign of a reality it's a sign of the expectation And that is not how Jesus or how John, the author in this text, uses that word. The word sign in this text might be like a sign that says, bridge out ahead. The reality is that just ahead of you there is a bridge out and the sign is telling you about a reality. And that's the kind of word that John uses here in the text. So this is a sign and we need to say what's the reality that the sign is telling us about. And it's in these words, my hour has not come. Not yet come, Jesus says. My hour has not yet come. And he's referring to a very specific point in time where something is going to occur that's going to be transformative to the creation. Second, notice the context. This is a wedding. Now, both of these words have biblical meaning. The first, the hour, uh, John, the author of the gospel, uses this a number of times, bringing out Jesus' comment about this hour within the narrative so that we will get the point that John, the author, is driving us to a destination. He's driving us to a reality. In John eight twenty, no one arrests Jesus because his hour hasn't come. In John 13, 1, Uh, The Passover Jesus recognizes and John records that the hour has come and then in Jesus's priestly prayer in John 17 What does he say to his father father the hour has come? This is right before his crucifixion And so this is what John is driving us to and this is what Jesus means when he talks to his mother My hour hasn't come and this is what the sign is pointing to The sign is telling us that the hour is coming second is the idea of the wedding now, the wedding is a metaphor used throughout the scriptures, and it's a very important one. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 1, Jesus uses the, the idea of a wedding to compare it to the kingdom of heaven. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 34, uh, it's another uh, wedding invitation and wedding presentation of the kingdom. And Jesus says, the bridegroom. And the guests can't fast when the bridegroom's there. Uh, and so he's pointing to the fact that he's the bridegroom. The bride is enjoying his presence. And so there's no fasting right now. In fact, it's a time of feasting. And then in John 3, when John the Baptist is talking about Jesus, and everyone's kind of wondering, John, the, you know, the, the one baptizing, why aren't you upset that Jesus is usurping or taking more of your disciples? John says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. And so John's not upset at Jesus at all because he's the bridegroom, he's the groom, and he has his bride. It's a common metaphor in Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about how the husband cares for his wife and he says, I'm speaking about Christ and his church. The church is his bride, Christ is the groom. And then notice the big text, Revelation chapter 19 verses 6 through 7 this is the main theme of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Uh, and this is where uh, we enjoy this great feast at the wedding between the groom and the bride. And so this is, these are big pictures in the Scriptures, particularly in New and Old Testaments, that kind of bring this sign together and tell us what the lesson is. And the lesson is something like this. Come and see the one who provides the grace of the new covenant come see there john is inviting you through this miracle to see what jesus is providing for you the grace of the new covenant and so let's let's look at the text first jesus does what the law cannot now if you you say well where does the law come up well it comes up in the water pots for purification john mentions that at this wedding there were large pots and they held. 10, 20 gallons of water, and there's six of them. And he says, very specifically, these pots were for purification. And so he's drawing our attention again to the law of Moses. He's drawing our attention to the ceremonial requirements that are worked out through the purification laws, through the washings, through the baptisms, the ceremonial washings that John, the one who came baptizing, Is doing he's drawing our attention back to this and so the 160 potential gallons of water here and the idea is you need to be purified the people needed these pots to be filled for purification and again he is bringing us back to his original statement of john the baptist behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world He's pointing us to that cleansing ministry of Jesus Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul says about the ministry of Christ in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Get the gist of what Paul says, because it's exactly what this sign is telling us about the ministry of Jesus. That the very laws that are required for us to have fellowship with God, these Jewish rites of ceremonial cleansing, Jesus is going to change. Secondly, Jesus provides abundant grace. Jesus uh, uh, provides, in this text, abundant wine. Lots of it. 150 to 160 gallons of good wine. So good that the master of the feast was surprised that it was held out until the end of the feast. Well, this is not a new concept in Judaism. At a wedding feast... The groom was responsible for providing all the refreshments, the food, and these things would go for days. These were not inexpensive events. And this is a symbol to the Jewish people. Wine is a symbol to the Jewish people of God's promises being fulfilled, of his faithfulness and of his goodness. One of the things that God would take away when he was chastening Israel in the Old Testament was wine. Wine is a symbol of celebration. It is a symbol of abundance. It is a symbol of provision. And this is typically what we do when we gather to celebrate an anniversary or to celebrate a birthday or to celebrate some great event. What do we do? We grab the wine. We celebrate the goodness that we're experiencing through wine, through this beverage. And so that's what John is pointing us to. That's what Jesus is pointing to in this sign, the goodness of God, the abundant grace of God. And you can see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 13 when Moses is giving the second giving of the law, which is what Deuteronomy means, the second giving of the law, deuteronomos, and in it he tells Israel that God loves them and that as they obey God, as they have entered into this conditional covenant with God, not the covenant that he established with Abraham, but the covenant that he establishing with Israel through the law of Moses, as they obey that, God's going to bless them. He will bless you. He, he says he'll bless your crops, he'll bless your animals, he'll bless your families, and he will give you wine and oil. These are the covenant promises that God is making. This is why when Israel is being deprived in exile of the blessings that God had promised them, he says in Isaiah 55, 1, Come to me, everyone who thirsts, and buy wine and milk without money. This is God providing wine and milk. This is the restoration of the good things in life. This is what Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31, when he's talking about this new covenant that David's great descendant will accomplish for us, what does he say? He says that the goodness of God will be demonstrated through wine. And so this is the picture that's being painted in the gospel. And that's why John in chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, says that the law comes through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. And he says that jesus has brought us grace upon grace the covenant that israel had with moses was good there was blessing for obedience there was blessing and the goodness of god was experienced jesus is bringing us grace on top of that the abundant grace of god and so john is using this this miracle as a sign jesus is using this miracle as a sign to tell us that the new covenant, the blessings and the goodness of God, were about to flow like good wine. Thirdly, Jesus brings us the goodness of God. And this is a real theme, a real undercurrent of this picture, that's this example that we're seeing lived out in the life of Christ. Jesus brings us into the goodness of God. Now, what do we mean by the goodness of God? The text says Jesus manifested his glory to the disciples. He obviously manifested his glory to all who were at the wedding. And it's in this glory that we see the goodness of God. When you and I as believers t- talk about the glory of God, we tend to think of what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter, uh, 9, uh, Isaiah chapter 6 when he sees God resplendent on the throne, angels singing. We think of the glory, the majesty, the Shekinah shining of God. But that's not what the scripture reveals to us as the glory of God. When uh, when John is talking about what Jesus has done, uh, he has come in the flesh, and what is he doing? He is presenting to us the glory of God. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. How have we seen the goodness of God in the glory of God? How is John saying Jesus manifested his glory, and how does that connect with his audience? Because remember, this is a Jewish audience, so they would have understood this. From Exodus chapter 33, when Moses says to the Father, show me your glory. What does God do? God says, you can't see it and live. He says, I'm not going anywhere until you show me your glory. And so God says, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to cause my glory to pass before you. But this is what he says, I'm going to cause my goodness to pass before you before you. Folks, the glory of God, the real manifestation of who God is is in his goodness. It's in his goodness to us. That's why Titus, that's why Paul when he writes Titus can say that when the goodness and loving kindness of God our savior appeared, he saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but because of his mercy, because of his grace. This is the goodness of God. And what Jesus is doing, symbolically through bringing wine to this wedding, is he is telling us, he is showing us a sign of a reality that's coming the hour of his death and resurrection when he will pay for our sins and provide the the purification that the law couldn't do because of our flesh, because of our sinfulness. He's going to provide that purification and he's going to bring us into the grace of, The abundant grace of the new covenant, and he is going to manifest his goodness to us forevermore. Now, some applications. Because this is the meaning of the text. What does it mean for us? Well, I would ask three questions. Number one, are you still trying? Are you still trying to please God? Are you still trying to prove your value? Are you still trying to prove your goodness? Are you still trying to outdo your bad deeds with your good deeds? Are you still trying to build your identity around your performance? And if you are, I would ask you, why? Why would you keep trying to do that when God has provided for your purification through Jesus Christ. When God has taken all those purification sac- uh, ceremonies of the Old Testament and He has done away with them and He has given you purification through faith in Jesus Christ, why would you keep trying? And I would not just say this to people who are investigating Christianity, I would say that to my Christian brothers and sisters who are here or who are watching. Why are you still trying to do what Christ has done for you in the hour of his death? Atoning for your sins so that you could fulfill the righteous requirements of the law of God by faith. And we all do this. We all work to prove our purification or to improve our purification. To prove our righteousness or to improve our righteousness and our standing with God. And I would ask you why. Why are you still trying? Secondly, are you living in the goodness of God? You might be exploring Christianity, and if you're interested in investigating Jesus, in coming and seeing Jesus, I would love to send you a life issues book and dialogue with you on Zoom or on the phone about what it means to investigate Him and what you're discovering as you investigate Jesus. But I would say to all my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I would say to all those who are investigating, the fundamental character of God is that He is good, He is merciful and gracious. Are you living in that goodness? Are you living in the no condemnation of the gospel? The no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus? Are you living in that union that you have with Christ? Where Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 just lists all the good Graces of God that come to us through Jesus. Are you living in that goodness? Is your heart freed from the condemnation, the guilt, and the shame that we carry? Are you living in the goodness of God? Or is your heart burdened, laden with guilt? Are you living in the goodness of God? When hard times come, can you still see the goodness of God in life? Are you living in the goodness of God and receiving and enjoying and relishing all the gifts that come to us because we have been united to Christ by faith? And then finally, are you extending that goodness to others? Are you extending the goodness of God? We have so many opportunities every day to glorify God To bring the glory of God into our world through goodness, through kindness, through being the hands and feet of Jesus, through our generosity and our ministry to our neighbors. Who have you ministered to lately? When you pull up to the the McDonald's or wherever you go to eat, when you finally get to go out to eat and you're sitting at a table, are you gracious to your host in these unusual times are you complimentary do you tip well you say what does this have to do with the good is this is all about the goodness of God and how we live in this world as Christians as followers of Jesus should be a daily manifestation to our families to our neighbors and to everyone in our community a daily manifestation of the goodness of God folks that's the message Of this great miracle it is a sign of a coming event where Jesus provides for our cleansing and does what the law cannot do where Jesus provides the abundant grace of God and brings us into the glory of God through his goodness I hope you're living in the goodness of God And I hope as a church family, we are sharing the goodness of God with each other and with our community. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this beautiful passage of Scripture and what it teaches us about Jesus Christ. Fill us with your Spirit so that we can minister the goodness that we have received to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.